Welcome to Breakout, the Great Escape podcast. We're a group of filmmakers, writers, and comic creators, and we're here to fill your ears with discussion. I'm Rich. I'm Felix. I'm Ben. I'm Chrissy. I'm Mark. Let's start off, as always, with what we've been up to of late. Last time we had a podcast, I was having a mouse problem. But luckily, that's now been sorted out. I've managed to catch all of the mice and evict them from my house. Uh, which is good, because not long after that, we had to do a shoot for Carnival of Sorrows, uh, where we turned the entire house into studio space. And um, yes, fortunately, got it all sorted out there and then. And it was mouse-free. It was mouse-free. Felic, what about you? Yeah, you mentioned the shoot. Uh, we had a successful three-day shoot. Uh, we had to emulate a bonfire in the middle of a lounge that was supposed to look at, uh, like it was outside, which was uh, interesting. I hope we went some way towards making that look realistic. How about you, Ben? Um, yeah, um, obviously I was involved in, in that shoot as well, but there's something I wanted to bring up um, today. Uh, and that's, you know, this week I've been plucking holes in pick-and-pluck foam, the kind of foam you get uh, for, like, equipment cases. Mm-hmm. And... If any of you are familiar with that stuff, you know that, you know, once you've you've picked out the perfect holes and then once you've put your equipment in and taken it out a couple of times, the perforations just seem to disintegrate and the whole foam just becomes a big pile of bits. Well, we found this fantastic stuff, um, which is called Plasti Dip, um, which is basically, it's like rubber slash vinyl in a spray can. Cool. And uh, once you've plucked all of the holes out of the foam, you then spray it with this Plasti Dip, and it makes it really kind of durable and professional, so you can get really cheap-ass foam, um, make the holes in it yourself, and then make it all professional and slick. Excellent. There you go. You heard it here first. (laughs) How to uh, make your foam inserts robust. Has anyone tried spraying it all over their hand yet? I'm sure they have. I think that was, if anybody's seen the film um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I think the spray on shoes, um, that's that's basically what you get. I think. Yeah. <laughs> spray on shoes, yeah. <laughs> so, um, obviously, you've been exciting new products in your life. Um, I have exciting new products in my life. I have new books, which is always exciting because I love books. And um, today, well, this week, should I say, um, two books came through my letterbox. Um, and they're probably about the most different, uh, you know, two ends of the spectrum as you could get. I have a crafting book about how to make clangers. Um, anybody who's outside the UK who doesn't know what a clanger is, it's a small knitted mouse-like pointy-nosed creature that lives on the moon. So um, that's a clanger. Uh, so I have a book all about how to make clangers and their planet. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I have a fairly thick and um, official looking book called Copyright Law for Writers, Editors and Publishers, which is a little bit more heavy going. So, But I'm excited about both of them. So there we go. That's my new things. What Chrissy is essentially saying is once she's um, made a knitted version of a clanger and thus broken the copyright of it, she's well prepared, <laughs> well prepared. to go to court and defend <laughs> this action. But because clangers were, when were they, from the 60s or something, aren't yeah. they... Um, in the public domain now, haven't they? Uh, copyright I don't think so because the BBC have just released a new series of clangers. So I think if Ooh, any, any ca- copyright that might have ex- <laughs> expired has been renewed. That's <laughs> great, crafty. Clangers, <laughs> ah, yeah. So yes. Anyway, yeah. the, the, uh, the there was there was no sort of uh, commercial intent in the uh, clanger knitting. It was more of a personal project. But, uh, 
Excellent. But just in case. So what about you, Mark? What have you been up to? Uh, touring Southwest England, apparently. Now, I had uh, some guests and visitors over from Italy, actually. Um, and anyone who is familiar with Hellbound Media Comics or, indeed, the Carnival of Sorrows project will know one of them, uh, known as Atlantis Vampire, as the artist's name. Uh, she did the concept art for the carnival that you will have seen on the Kickstarter on our page and generally anywhere we put. Um, she's also done some comics for us at uh, Hellbound Media. So, yeah, she came over... Um, Signed some of my comics, did a few sketches, and <laughs> we had a we had a tour of various places, most notably Broadchurch locations, because there are a lot here. We are actually recording this in Clevedon, which is like half of Broadchurch. <laughs> half of Broadchurch. Yeah. The other half is some ungodly distance away in Dorset. Looks amazing, but getting there is like trying to find your way through a maze. Yeah. So for anybody in Europe who's an artist and is thinking of taking a tour of the UK, uh, do contact Mark for chauffeur services. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. No. It sounds like you had a lovely time. Anyway, speaking amazing. of Broadchurch, I must just uh, shoehorn him this anecdote. We were actually at one point uh, mistaken for the team behind Broadchurch by um, the local council. Uh, at one point we were putting in our filming schedules uh, so that they were aware of where we were going to be and they assumed that we were Broadchurch because who else is filming in, in Clevedon and started sending us all of this <laughs> sort of confidential information. So so that was fun. <laughs> anyway, I guess we should probably get on to our topic. Mm. Um, so Exploding Kittens, which is one of the most funded Kickstarter projects of all time, has started shipping just as we record this podcast. We ourselves have successfully had two projects funded via Kickstarter and we've either been involved in or know people who have run successful crowdfunding campaigns. So the real question is, is crowdfunding the best thing to happen to indie creators or is it just a bubble waiting to burst? I don't know, but Exploding Kittens is the name of my Pussycat Dolls cover band. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Nice Paul Storm reference there. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, we, we actually have our very own copy of the Exploding Kittens flopped onto the map. The oh, yeah, that was well, very so impressive. Very I was I was totally expecting, because Exploding Kittens was the American project, that the shipping would be handling from the US. So they said, we're starting shipping today. And I went, great, so I'll expect to see it in three weeks. And then it turned up on the doorstep the next day. Which was very impressive, so um, coordination. Apparently, the guys pine cards against humanity did all of the um, the shipping work. So congratulations to them. Your product actually works. Yeah, I, I must admit, I think as far as uh, the, the quality of the product that we received from them, I have n never seen anything come out of Kickstarter um, of a project I've backed or a project that other people have backed that I know of that has been so professional looking. It, it is absolutely brilliant. So, so well done, guys. Brilliant. And we're really looking forward to playing it. Of course, uh, if you don't really get the context of this, just the statement exploding kittens is somewhat worrying. It's a card game. We'll stick the link yeah. underneath. Um, yeah. You can look up exploding kittens. So, yeah, so, um, so crowdfunding, um, obviously, you know, has been around for quite a few years now. Um, and I think there, there is something of a concern that maybe the novelty is wearing off a little bit because I think back at the early sort of stage of, 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 of it, it was very much the new thing and, and any project that you put up there was going to get attention because there wasn't much competition and so, you know, and it was the novelty of, you know, that getting involved early on in the project, being part of the creative team and, mm. and I think now 
a lot of people go straight to crowdfunding as their first choice for funding and it means there's a lot more projects out there and there's a lot more breadth in terms of the amount of preparation that those projects have done types of projects that there are and so on um and I, I think you know if you scroll through sort of like most recent on kickstarter or something like that you'll see there's a lot more unfunded projects than there are funded projects and i think that's actually a, a change what do you guys what, what have you guys observed in terms of um trends in crowdfunding yeah I, i've noticed quite a few sort of younger people starting projects not exclusively but also quite a lot of them and what you're getting is that they almost think you know you just go in there you do it and people are gonna jump on board and i don't i see projects go out with just nothing and no work done in um and it's so much work as we mm-hmm. we all know it's a stupid amount of work but i think this this almost become a sense at least for some people that they think they just need to put it on there Mm. Um, and somehow it will magically get people, you know, yeah. involved. And there's some. I think there dramas. is really something about um, understanding where your audience and that funding that you want is going to come from. Yeah. I mean, we did um, the, the Kickstarter for Great Escapes Volume One, the book that we did. It was our first experience of crowdfunding, and it was a, a modest target uh, of of four hundred pounds. So it was obviously a small scale project that we took on as a first sort of toe in the water with regards to crowdfunding. Um, but uh, one of the things we, we looked at before we chose to start that as a project was where is the money going to come from? Can we identify enough sources that are associated with this project that we know, that we can contact and so on and so forth, that are going to produce enough funding to hit that target? And uh, because it was an anthology book, we, we, had, um, we had 30 contributors. Um, and so we knew that if every one of those contributors found us two backers, then we would hit our target and that gave us the confidence to give it a go because we, we were confident that there was there was a, a a realistic way of finding that funding within that sort of pool of people um and i think uh, when we we went into doing carnival sorrows i think the same was true there we we knew in advance that we had certain resources that we could draw on to hit that target um in, in particular we had one you know quite large benefactor that we we knew of quite sort of early on that we were going to be able to rely on to bring us a chunk of that money in um, and also to help motivate other people to back and so that idea of knowing where that market is going to come from I think is is really important as a way of approaching the project and looking and assessing whether it's going to be realistic. Um, I recently backed an unsuccessful project recently which was called, um, well I won't won't say because you know they're obviously still um, looking at raising funds elsewhere but they were raising funds for a local project um, in that it was a geographically limited project Hmm. and I think they were they were asking for you know for what it was a reasonable amount of money you know but not excessive and and they got two-thirds of the way there I think Um, and they were they were doing guest spots on local radio they were doing you know um, you know streaming drives online they were doing all sorts of things um and yet they were still struggling to get that um that engagement because there were a lot of people who were going to their site and seeing it and thinking oh that's a great project too bad i live across the other side of the country or the other side of the world and so they weren't offering anything that those those international or national backers could could get behind it they were they were very much limiting their um pool of, of of audience Mm. And, uh, and unfortunately, they didn't make their target. Um, but that, that, I think, goes to show that the types of projects you can really go for, you know, understanding where that market comes from, understanding, you know, who, who are the people you're targeting, how many of them are there, and what percentage of them do you have to hit in order to get that funding, 
you know, I think is uh, is what determines whether you're going to be successful or not, really. Mm. So. And just the amount of work you put in ongoing. Um, mm. I mean, I've mentioned before the uh, Screaming Deaf Indiegogo. Now, they didn't hit their target, but as Indiegogo, they've still got a, a element of funds and they've carried on pushing their fundraising, especially now. But one of the difficulties they've had, really, is that they were deep in pre-production at the same time as running this campaign. And, I mean, there were people on there, amazing guys, who were pushing it every day. But there was only a couple of them doing yeah. that. You need so much constant attention, especially for a big one and a kind of potentially unknown one. It, it takes a lot of work. I mean... Fortunately, how Screen Death is going ahead, it's looking amazing and fantastic. Um, and the funds have helped them sort of go there. But it also highlights how difficult it can be. You need this constant yeah. vigilance. Well, that's something that I was involved in the Kickstarter for a theatre project last year, which was Faustus, which uh, uh, took place at the London Horror Festival. And uh, they raised about £2,000 through Kickstarter towards the overheads for that. And uh, the team that we that I was involved in doing that, couple two of them at least were um, online, you know, twenty four hours a day almost. Um, you know, between them, they were covering shifts and so on and so forth to make sure they were active all the time. And they were contacting directly, you know, appealing to individual people, at least sort of like a hundred, two hundred people a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what they they had to do in order to get that 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 you know money. In. So it's, you know, it is that level of commitment to get you what you want to do. Mm. Going back to what you were saying about um, House of Screaming Death um, and the, because they went with the flexible funding option. Mm. One of the things I was actually uh, wondering is um, what what's your guys' opinion on flexible funding? Because, um, you know, it's actually an interesting difference between Indiegogo and other crowdfunding platforms. Um, personally, I've never been much of a fan of flexible funding. There is a slight disadvantage to flexible funding. You have to pay more to Indiegogo if you don't manage to achieve your total. To give you guys a, a rough estimate, um, when Kickstarter tells you that their fees are 5%, that is not the percentage that you will be sacrificing from your fundraising. You will be sacrificing much closer to around 12% because there are more than one type of fees that get deducted and then there is VAT lumped on top of them. So once you have factored all of that in, it's much closer to 12%. Indiegogo starts off at 9 and is actually closer to 20% in terms of the flexible funding um, figures. It's much closer to 20% once you factor in all of those figures. So. Yeah. But the thing, what happens with flexible funding is also it removes that real push to um, people to achieve their goals. For me, it smacks a little bit like they don't really know how much it's going to cost to do their production. So therefore, they've just thrown a money a number out there and said, well, if we get the number, the money that we are destined to achieve, then so be it. But if not, then then, hey, you know, we've got so much. I have seen more people on Indiegogo aiming for much higher targets in that yeah. capacity because they know that if they fall short of raising £100,000 and only raise 10000 that actually their project was probably only going to be 10000 anyway. So it's kind of like... But it, it does give a false impression because, mm. you know, Kickstarter is built on the idea that you raise the funds needed for that project. And if you hit that funding goal, you have the funds you need to make your project. As you say, with, with the flexible funding, it does smack a little bit of, well, you know, you've got 
20% of your, of your funding, where's the rest of it going to come from? How are you going to actually produce that project on 20% of the funding? Exactly. Uh, is that money just going to sit in your bank account? Is it going to end up going to something else? It's a little bit more ambiguous mm. as to what yeah. actually is going to happen. Yeah, and, and in addition, uh, when it comes to flexible funding, I think also as people backing those, that campaign, it doesn't feel like it matters too much if you miss it. Because with Kickstarter, it's really it feels very do or die. Mm. If you want to see this happen, you have to back this, and mm. you have to back it by this date. Uh, otherwise, it will not happen, and you know they will get nothing. Yeah, there's a Meanwhile, sense of the, urgency there. Yeah, with the there? flexible funding, it's kind of like well, you know, if they don't if they don't get it, it's likely to happen anyway. So therefore, you know, it doesn't feel as a person backing it like it matters too much if they don't. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of my general feeling. I would steer away from Indiegogo in general for that. Um, and there's some other sort of things that come into it. Um, again, to say for Screaming Death, I know for a fact that it was essentially the budget, if it wasn't coming from that, from from that, anything they had to make up the shortfall was essentially themselves. So yeah. we're talking debt and the like, I think. Okay. So, you know, there is a reason, but they were still determined to, to make this project. Mm. Um, but what's interesting, I sort of think, well, if that's the case, use something like Kickstarter because I think you're not going to get that higher percentage as a, a problem. You're not Kickstarter has that kind of do or die element, and if you're going to be putting in funds anyway, you might get closer. And there comes a certain point where you can put in a bit of your own money anyway to make mm. sure you you hit the target. I mean, and I've known several people to do that. When uh, I know someone's projects was literally, I think they were ending up something like a uh, hundred pounds short or something. So yeah. they they put that in themselves just. To oh, you can clearly see. Um, there's a, a cycle kick track, which is used for doing graphing and actually identifying how likely you are to hit your targets and so on and so forth. It's a really great site, by the way. But you can often see when you look at people's campaign stats when at what point they decide to cash out which is usually a couple of days prior to the final deadline because the graph will go like do, 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 and so it goes zip straight up in the air <laughs> yeah you can tell how common it is and there's actually a term for it you know yeah, yeah. i think we're indiegogo there is definitely also whilst a lot of people talk about it, how great it is i don't know whether you get the same footfall you do as you do on kickstarter mm. a lot of people know about kickstarter and whilst it's limited to certain countries, um, the number of visitors you get to your projects and the amount of um, visibility you see on that site for featured projects and projects that are gaining interest is much higher, I feel, than on Indiegogo. And it's interesting, actually. I completely agree. I think Kickstarter has the broader audience. It's a better bet overall, not just because it's the name one, but interesting, you mentioned countries. I think that makes actually an interesting distinction. One thing you should consider when doing your thing is is the currency you're looking at. I think mm. actually before we got Kickstarter UK, I've, I saw people doing their Kickstarter in America in dollars. Yeah. And the thing is, there's actually an advantage, I would say, to doing dollars. Um, and whilst this isn't across the board, there does seem to be a sense that American audience or American people using Kickstarter are less likely to back something that's in pounds than dollars. Whereas I think people here are more are more used to backing something in that's mm. in dollars 
Yeah, we, we yeah were we're more to, flexible. More flexible. Yeah. No, it's not necessarily about flexibility. Yeah. I think there's a sense of not necessarily knowing how, how it's going to work and stuff. And, of course. And knowing pounds. But um, I certainly think uh, with Europe around, we're very used to different currencies coming in and out a lot more. Yeah. Um, but that's something I've sort of noticed. So I almost think mm. when you think about your audience as well and the country and where, where you want the audience to come from, it is really something to consider. Going back to Kickstarter as the... The, the greater footfall um I, I do sometimes wonder if why people choose other sites i mean i, yeah. I understand to a certain extent the the attraction of um indiegogo's flexible funding for people who you know aren't really confident of where their money is coming from so they're kind mm. of like you know whatever we can get that'll go into the pot and we'll find other stuff from elsewhere you know and sometimes that that's an okay way of approaching a project it depends on the project really yeah um you know and that that um option especially if you've not done it before if you've not done crowdfunding before you don't know what it's going to entail you have no real idea of how much you're likely to hit or not Mm. um you know it's 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 an option so i can understand the attraction of indiegogo as an alternative but i don't really understand what there's been a massive proliferation of other sites some of them have um their own sort of unique take on things i mean obviously you get sites like uh, classy and gofundme which are obviously um tailoring themselves specifically for charity fundraising markets. Yeah, and there's a lot of fundraising sites that are focused on one yeah. particular type of thing. So you have those, but you also have some that are just effectively clones of um, of Kickstarter. And I do wonder what the motivation behind anyone choosing one of those sites over Kickstarter would be. Mm. I suppose one thing they might be thinking is that if their, their project's less likely to get lost in the, in the vast mm. network of Kickstarter projects, they might be more prominence maybe and mm. maybe if they think their project is really good and you have a lot of faith in your project but if they really believe in it perhaps they think well actually going from here we can bring people in we can get the people who use that site and we will stand out mm. as opposed to not standing on kickstarter which i can appreciate and may, maybe that's true but I, if that is true it's probably only true of the occasional very mm. effective project mm. project yeah. or campaign I, I think there are a lot of people on Kickstarter that don't manage to get their goals, but usually you can clearly see that the problem is less the Kickstarter and more a greater issue. For example, it being focused on one particular location, so therefore it's not applicable to anyone outside. And also anyone outside of the local area, there aren't any rewards that are um, applicable to them. Appealing. Appealing, yes, exactly. Alternatively... They don't push their project. For example, they'll put up a lovely description of their project, but they won't supply a video. Or once they've put the video up, they don't then continue updating and letting people know the current status or pushing around on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. As someone who doesn't really go on Kickstarter um, very often, um, when I first came across Kickstarter, um, I thought of it as a kind of more polite way for asking your friends for money, mm-hmm. um, which I think for a lot of people who have Kickstarter projects, it's probably that. It, it's, you know, your um, nearest and dearest and friends and family and uh, Facebook friends who kind of um, get bombarded mm-hmm. with um, pleas and requests of, you know, please back me on, on Kickstarter. Um, the ones that I've noticed that do really well are the ones who uh, tend to... Um, kind of go viral on um, social media. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that 
you know, they're not affiliated with any people that I know. Uh, it's just, it's been shared by everyone. Of course. Um, usually because, you know, they've got a really cool product um, yeah. or, you know, a, a, or they've marketed their product in the Kickstarter video in, mm. you know, a very exciting way, which makes people want to share it. And usually the first time I see their Kickstarter appeal um, appear on my Facebook or something, you know, they've usually got... 10 times more than what they've asked for yeah something already with 26 days remaining um, exactly. <laughs> or something i think a lot of, yeah. admittedly if you look at the top uh, ranking uh, kickstarter projects of all time several of them they already were well known in some regard for example exploding kittens came from a background of um the oatmeal uh, matthew inman who is a quite a popular um comic artist and a lot of people who hang around on facebook have seen one of his comics at some point as such off the back of that not only did was it somebody that people had heard of but also the content was something that really spoke to them exploding a, kittens you also have examples like elite dangerous and so on and so forth where you're, yeah. they are tapping into and a massive existing fan base yeah you know so it, it's not like they're trying to use the project to build the fan base in the first place which yeah. is the other mistake that people make is that this is about appealing to your fans you kind of need to have fans already yeah i was going to also say a uh, double fine adventure which obviously was um a niche product uh Point and Click Adventure, uh, done by some fairly big names in the Point and Click Adventure market from back in the nineties, mm. and because there's still a fan base for the, these people and their and the genre, that they got a lot of interest and therefore got a lot of of uh, backing out of it. Mm. Anyway, so Mark, you were saying? Yeah, well, it was, it's quite interesting. Um, what Ben was saying actually about uh, friends and family, because absolutely using Facebook, friends, family, all that kind of basically begging for money kind of aspect, that is hugely important in doing a Kickstarter campaign. However, that's your that's your your step one. That's your starting goal. The people you know and the people you, you know that they're the people you want to be really supporting you day one already so that people other people can see that this project is already kicking mm. off the ground it's got legs you you need that mass audience if you're just relying on that if that's the the main focus if, if you're not visiting websites and sending out press releases you're restricting yourself yeah. so much in a way that's what i was saying about knowing where the money is going to come from in advance yeah. in a way you almost want to set your target to what you know you're going to get and then push for as much more as you can as you can find from other sources of course um, it makes you makes you wonder when you come across the odd kickstarter project and you go they've been running for 10 days and they've had two backers you're like you, you that look, makes it look like you haven't even been able to convince the people you know and i'm not going to back you if you have if you can't convince your best friend and your mum and your dad and your grandma that you know if you can't convince you know the people you know to back you then there's no incentive for me to back you so i think mark's absolutely right you know there, there's that absolute requirement that you have to get a certain number of people to be on board before you even launch so i was going to say it's amazing still at this stage for however long kickstarter has been going that people don't get the write-up um right still i mean i've i've seen some film projects lately where the, the amount of writing that's there and they've got like um cast and crew bios and some of them have got like picture missing um like little mm. placeholders and stuff and you get you get a general sense from stuff of how 
how your money is going to be treated and I've seen some projects where I thought I might put a small bit in I see stuff like that and I think I'm just going to steer away so I think no matter how many things that are out there how well established it is if people don't bother to do the basic things I still think Mm. that that has a lot of effect on it another another few examples of this is the ubiquitous a novel project title um please fund me to write a book i don't know what it's about yet i just want to write a book which you see on that that project seems to come up on kickstarter all the time um and then also the um the cover image with the shutterstock watermark on it which goes to show which is the ubiquitous um i can't even find an image i'm allowed to use to promote my project (laughs) yeah couple of you know big warning flying signs there of course um it's interesting what you're saying ben about uh people like sticking their hands out and basically begging for money as you say um it's interesting uh the artist amanda palmer who um wrote who basically did a ted talk called um, the art of asking and in response to that also wrote her biography the art of asking uh, which came out last year um and she talks a lot about that because she herself also had a kickstarter project to fund an album because she'd broken from her record label and got her all her fans to support her on this she starts to talk about what is the idea of why do people think about this whole begging culture of things it, you know, if you're an artist, you're not really begging for money. If people support you, that's all that really matters. Well, I think interesting. You can look at it and you can go, well, there, there's also there's there's what you might traditionally think of as crowdfunding as you know project based funding mechanism. But you you also have you know other related types of, of, of funding mechanism. Like I mean, um, think about subscriptions. You know, think about um, people who pay subscription models for services or content. You know, in a way, that's kind of like, you know, asking for money in a way in terms of I want you to support me on an ongoing basis, subscribe and I will continue to produce content. Mm. And interestingly, going back to Amanda Palmer, I believe she's recently um, established herself on Patreon, which is a um, effectively a halfway house between crowdfunding and, and subscription. It is a subscription based crowdfunding model where people... Um, back, you know, kind of like that, isn't it? Exactly. Like, no, the, you know. the idea bit behind it is that, say, for example, you are a YouTube creator. Um, what you can do as a somebody who wants to supply money to this creator is you can say, I want to give you this much money per video you produce. It's usually per month. Um, yes, I, I was, going to, options, I was yeah. also going to say that alternatively they can pay per month. It depends on how frequently these people produce content. And the same thing applies to any kind of um, content where you've got multiple pieces coming through, either being um, videos or stories or comics or whatever. And a lot of people jump off the back of this. But yeah, it seems to be really taking off. I I do know someone who gets $350 a a month on Patreon now um, for for their work, um, essentially. And, And it's interesting that this is, I mean, this is, this is 19th century. This is in the name. It comes patronage. from pa- patronage, you know, yeah. but that's how the arts actually essentially start, started. You get patronage. You'd have a specific, rich, you know, no one had any money apart from the rich. The rich people would become a patron of someone giving them money so they could actually produce art. And part um, of that was about the, um, the idea of um, being seen to be a supporter and hmm. being seen to promote um, you know the the sense of um, of association that you got from that that was that was part of the mentality behind it and I think that is very much 
the mentality behind crowdfunding is it's uh, a lot of people choose to back um, projects not because they'll get a reward that they really want I mean in some you have a variety of different projects some of which where the reward seems very you know like what you're paying in what you're receiving in response is very equivalent but a lot of others a, a huge amount of others ask you to contribute far higher a, a value of money than the value of the reward that you will physically get in response and wow. yet people choose to do it because it's not about the rewards mm. it's about the association and about being part of it and so that is so so similar to the well it has to work Patreon. because if you're getting the that's how it has to work yeah. really. i mean the, the rewards are that they're reward otherwise it's just a purchasing system which doesn't actually make money but um yeah and then that's the sort of interesting one to, to think about is how high must you go I think I've seen ones where they have not thought about the rewards and you're going okay if you're giving them this for a £20 pledge that's going to cost you like half that add mm. the percentage fees you're getting what a fiver from that yeah, pledge yeah interestingly it's... I came across one the other day which was um, there was very little about the actual project or what the money was going to be going for and they were offering things like mugs at £7 pledges and I'm like this is going to cost you more to produce the reward than you're getting for the pledge it's like that, that genuinely not thought out at all I think mm. uh, that's mm. definitely one, one of the ones um, and we've actually been having with Help by Media the comics a sort of discussion of this lately because we actually are planning another uh, well not another a, thir- a first comic kickstarter at the moment for, okay. uh, but that is purely for the printing of a book uh, Mandy the Monster Hunter book of monsters so that one the art's done it's all done so yeah. it's going to be so purely a case of trying to well, it's, it's, it's an order it's, it's, it's a it's a pre-order system in a way yeah you're fundraising to, to, to produce the physical product not to create not to to develop the product but to produce the product it's very exactly. similar to what we did with great escapes mm. in that the book was ready to go and then in fact actually i could have just released it as a um, an ebook without any funding but we wanted to do a print run and so we used the kickstarter to fund the print run and that was all that the kickstarter was there to do was to fund the print production of the physical books exactly well, i think that is that is definitely something um that can be useful i mean the reason we're doing help immediate essentially you know is we've been pushing to do better this book has cost us a lot we're independent we do out our own pocket and to be able to make the book as as good as it can be and to get it out as quickly as possible we would need sort of additional funds, otherwise it you know, could delay it and the like. So, mm. you know, that's something to, to go for. But I think having a small, reasonable funding goal makes mm. something like this very, very uh, possible. I think there's a very interesting question to ask with regards to this, actually. When it comes to projects like um, Great Escapes and like Mandy and uh, Book of Monsters, where you have a project which is basically ready to go, you just need that upfront investment to... F- get it to the finished production stage you know it, it, the product is developed it's ready to be produced it just needs to be produced um there's a question about why is it that people can use crowdfunding platforms to raise that money but they couldn't for instance get that same amount of money by simply offering pre-orders for example mm. wider audience for one thing mm. ease of it people know kickstarter now people go to kickstarter people have accounts there press yeah. buttons i want yeah, it's yeah. it's one place it's not mm. your website which you'd have to link them to or yeah 
get them in. Yeah. I think it's, it's a very different thing. And you're going to get other people in, people it, watch the videos. I also it's, think there is that element of the wanting to be part of mm. the production. Because you know yeah. that uh, anybody else uh, who uses Kickstarter will know that your profile has a little wheel. And that little wheel has segments of different colours depending on what types of projects you have backed and everybody who is a backer on Kickstarter wants to fill in their little wheel <laughs> oh yes wow. especially oh. As, as I've seen people when the, people have got their wheel completed it spins no it does oh what it have is, we not backed yet I don't know we haven't, this, done, a, we haven't done a food project yet I mean this is totally an OCD thing really <laughs> oh, but yeah. it, it does appeal Actually, to that element of people that like to collect and things to know about it's, it's not it's not OCD it's gamification yeah it's about micro rewards and so it's yeah. It, but yeah absolutely it's it, it's, it's, it's that kind of, and I think there's that element of trust yeah. as well that you're going to this third party place that's going to look after your money and of course. you know you're not you don't have that element of uncertainty about who is this that I'm giving it's, you money it's the same way why Amazon Marketplace is so popular or actually Etsy is a very good example where because there is a trust mechanism in place you feel more confident buying stuff through there as opposed to say going to somebody's personal website and purchasing stuff I love Etsy, by the way. If there's anything that you can't find anywhere else you can find somebody on Etsy who will make it for you it's yeah. brilliant <laughs> Excellent so um, one more thing I will bring up briefly is that um, I have a book currently uh, available to download for free on openbooks.com. Now, openbooks.com is a pay-what-you-want model, which basically means you get the content up front and then you can choose whether to pay or not. My current ratio of downloads to purchases is 200 to 1. <laughs> and that is not an unreasonable number for the other books on the site. Mm. You will look through them and you will see this book has been downloaded 500 times and nobody has paid for it. This book has been downloaded 300 times and only two people have been paid mm. for it. You know, it's it's not, you know, I'm actually was, was really excited to get that notification to say somebody has paid for my book because... Mm. Um, it, it sort of you know put me on a par with everybody else there. That yeah. sort of level of, of people downloading is 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 huge, and I, I actually think it's a really interesting thing to look at. So if I'd have taken that book unfinished, this is an ebook by the way, not mm-hmm. a, a a physical book. It's just a, just an ebook download. It's a ten thousand word novelette, short, cheap. Go buy a copy if you fancy. But if I'd have taken that book unfinished as a concept with some nice cover graphic art and me talking on a video, put it up on Kickstarter for a two hundred pound, you know, reward, you know, goal with a, you know, get a copy of the ebook, get a copy of the cover art, you know, and so on and so forth. I actually reckon I probably could have hit it, mm. you know, and it would have been. It's interesting to note that you know, it's a finished project which you can have, and people aren't prepared to pay for it. Mm. An unfinished project which they can be involved in the production of and suddenly they're there and they want to do it. Mm. And there's interesting other, other sites that offer this um, pay what you want sort of mechanism. There's some do free and pay what you want. For example, Noise Trade, which is both a music and book site. I've, I've downloaded stuff from Noise Trade. There's content that I have downloaded that I've never touched because in a way it's a case of you grab it but you don't necessarily want it. And I think in the same case with open books, there'll be a lot of people who download the stuff, but because it's a free piece of content, people are not really that connected to it. If you've gone, you've purchased, say, a seven quid book or even a 40 quid game, you kind of feel more compelled to play it or yeah. read it. Or And I would say, actually, they're almost like complete opposite ends of the spectrum in that the uh, pay what you want 
builds purely on the idea of targeting the savvy shopper, the person who wants to get something for cheap. Yeah. They want you know as much as they can get for the cheapest price mm. possible. Whereas um, Kickstarter targets people at the other end of the of the psychological spectrum, maybe you could say, you know, in terms of the other yeah. attitude spectrum. Let's call it that. Uh, to target the people who um, are prepared to pay over the odds for something that they can be involved in that has more. Um, social value to it rather yeah. than just the value of the product itself you know mm. so they're in a way these two mechanisms are targeting completely different ends of that spectrum of, of, of sort yeah. of purchasing attitude mm. yeah. there was an interesting third step which we don't want to go too far into but the idea of the early access um which is uh people are, uh, getting their content before it is actually in a completed state so people, for example, are getting games when they're still very much base concepts of games. Mm. But what's interesting that off the back of that is they've looked at the kind of what the difference between somebody buying something when it's completed versus somebody buying something when it's in early access. And what they often find is that people who purchase stuff in early access will play it and they will go, oh, well, that's okay but they won't go back to it once it is completed. Meanwhile, the people who are getting it and when it is completely done are getting a completely different experience. Uh, something that means that they go away with a much po more positive feeling towards that content creator. Mm. So I think it's um, it, it kind of works in the idea of games because there's that sense of community involvement. There's that yeah. sense of uh, I mean beta testing and so on has been around for a while. You know that idea of you get early access, but the. The, the, the expectation is is that you'll feed your feedback in and it'll get changed and, and you'll be able to influence that game yeah. and that that's something that people really love I yeah. think with regards to things like films and uh, passive media you know mm. where you're consuming it maybe in, in a less sort of active interactive way yeah. um, like books like films um, I, I don't see the appeal in seeing it in that form I, I wouldn't yeah. want to read I mean I'll obviously you know I, I, I you know, be to read books for friends of mine, you know, yeah. because I want to help them, you know, do that. But I wouldn't choose to read a book in its, you know, unfinished state mm. over reading it when it's finished. <laughs> the, the worst thing possible is to be popular whilst be, whilst having that, that early access concept. It's of like being, airing your dirty laundry in public. Isn't of, it? of course. And in a way, you don't necessarily want your stuff to be too popular anyway, because you'll get diametrically opposed ideas about what will make it better. <laughs> uh, and it ends up being this constant stream of people who are saying, oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do that. Oh, I like this bit. Oh, I didn't like this bit. And what ends up happening is that you end up not getting to the end of it because people are constantly thinking of new ideas. <laughs> anyway. So what this does is bring us to this lovely elephant in the room for, for anyone who's following us, really, in many ways, in terms of finish, in that we have done a Kickstarter for Carnival Sorrows. That was, <laughs> it has been delayed from the dates we gave originally. The project has exploded in the best possible way, though. It's more in-depth, stronger, um so much more detail than we, we mm. imagined and we don't want to rush it we don't want to get things out there too early mm. for that very reason we don't want to have something that isn't as strong as it can be yeah. and we are getting there but sometimes I think when you have plans in the Kickstarter that, that can happen it can delay from the dates that you say but I always mm. think communication is the key yeah. there I think that just 
quickly on that, there's um, there's two things you can say. What you were saying earlier about um, House of Screaming Death, that they were trying to do their Kickstarter at the same time as doing pre-production for the film. They were already on set, on, on schedule for a particular date to start that and things were already in motion. Um, the same was true when we did our, our Kickstarter for Faustus in that we, uh, we, we did that we, we, we had the funding through one month before we actually went to the theatre and did the production. So and by the time we actually got the money, we'd already needed to have spent it. So we were that late with getting it, you know. So, um, you know, but that's what you were saying about in terms of how much time and energy can you devote to the promotion versus the project. And in a way, you kind of actually want to do your Kickstarter well in advance so that when you're doing the Kickstarter, you can actually devote all of your time and energy to the Kickstarter. Yeah. And then, after that, you can devote all of your time and energy to the product. Mm. But trying to do both at the same time is actually almost, you know, it's almost a bad plan, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, so are we sort of with final thoughts? I think crowdfunding as a whole is actually taking off because um, not just for projects um, like arty projects and things like that, um, I've actually seen it um, kicking off for things like business loans and property investment and things like that. So crowdfunding as a whole, I think, is kind of booming at the moment. Mm. Um, where it's going in the future, I don't know. I mean, there's I think there's a lot of probably greedy people out there who think, well, hang on a minute, these crowdfunding websites are getting a hell of a kickback for this service mm. and they don't have to do much for it. So um, I don't know if it's going to become oversaturated and die death that way or um or if it's going to just continue to be popular and become the way you get money now and people you know do it that way rather than you know going traditional routes mm. i think um part of the reason it has become so popular has to be because there are the, the, the traditional routes for funding are have, or have always been very um very limited in terms of you know only a select number of people were able to access that funding whereas mm. this everybody who has the the savvy and the and the and the you know the time and the dedication to 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 take it on can tap into this resource and mm. i think that's that's what makes it you know revolutionary in that respect oh yeah kickstarter's here to stay um especially kickstarter actually i would say i don't know about the others but as the market becomes saturated i think Rather than actually see it, like, you know, in any way, what you're going to see is that people just latch onto the, the name one. You'll see the others die off. <laughs> it's it's become one of those things, I think, that maybe it'll have its peak, but like, I don't know, in different terms, in, in cinema apparatus, 3D film, maybe in terms of genre, fan footage film, uh, these things, they have their, their peak moment of popularity, but these days, they don't go away. They simply become part of the variety of tools that we can draw on. Kickstarter, I think, will always be here as a tool. I think it might work for, for lower budget materials plus big you know, name pieces. But I think it will always be there in the future. And as Ben said, crowdsourcing in different ways, I think, will always now be a thing. Mm. The form of it will adapt and change. But certainly crowdfunding and Kickstarter in particular, I think they're here to stay. Mm. I think that Kickstarter is going to basically be like Facebook is. Because people don't go to Kickstarter because it's because they're interested in the company. They're interested in the content. And the content is constantly shifting and changing. And it's sociable and it's it's personal. So therefore, if people continue using it, 
Kickstarter will continue and go on and on and on. It's only really if it goes down the route of falling by the wayside if if another pro- uh, product comes along that comes up something different and Kickstarter doesn't respond that it will go away. I've just thought of a, another possible uh, future outcome uh, for things like Kickstarter, actually, and I really hope it doesn't go this way, and that's if it gets incredibly commercialised mm. and large companies start putting on, um, you know, large companies like Coca-Cola, for instance, start putting on Kickstarter appeals as a, a type of marketing um, mm. and throwing millions and millions of dollars into, you know, this sort of way of marketing through Kickstarter and crowdfunding and yeah. such, which then will just dilute the pond and everyone else won't get a look in. Mm. Well, I'll all- tell you what, I think when, while Kickstarter keeps their fee structure at around about 12%, no massive company is going to be looking to donate to donate that much yeah. of their profits to any, uh, any uh, third party, I think. So I think we'll be safe from that and, unless they decide to make it a free platform. You actually <laughs> raise, raise a point that I did want to raise and I just completely passed me by, which is... Um, there are some content creators on Kickstarter who are people sometimes consider are too big for their boots. Uh, they are there, but they they the people don't really see them. They should be there. Take for example Zach Braff and his movie Wish I Was There, which got a lot of criticism because people were were of well, you're Zach Braff. You should be able to just go to a big single funder and get your movie paid for. Uh, but equally, why is it? so offensive that he is there. Going into another one, um, the recently a game called Shenmue, which is a very popular game that had budgets of several millions for the first and second games, but is quite niche. They um, went on to Kickstarter and then they w- was announced, oh, by the way, yeah, Sony's actually contributing some of the money to this. And it all got very unsure but people didn't necessarily want to back it and then in fact a lot of people pulled their funding after they found out that sony was involved there will be situations like that in long term i think where you've got that the kickstarter is only there really as a as a bit of extra cash on top of a much larger funder yeah well it sounds like um you know these large companies like sony etc testing the water with it mm. yeah. and if they're getting a, a bad reaction from the uh, people who are funding the projects then i think that's that's only going to be a good thing yeah. and hopefully it's going to keep them out so that um you know independent people can realize their dreams exactly. i would say quickly on the, on the zach braff and various things no matter how big a name you are in like hollywood really if you're going to a studio for money, you're going to lose that independence and control. So you can of sort course. of appreciate that someone like that, who maybe has his own money and his own mm. uh, celebrity status, but he's not a big Hollywood name. And if he wants to make something and be self-own it, then he needs to fund it himself. So I yeah. can at least understand that uh, aspect to it. An interesting documentary on that topic, actually, is uh, the documentary Seduced and Abandoned. So you want to find out more about what happens, not necessarily for Kickstarter, but what happens behind the scenes of somebody trying to receive funding for their film project, but doing in the conventional manner of going and finding somebody who's going to help fund it, and what sort of um, limits are put on their creativity and individuality, then, yeah, check that documentary out. It is really interesting. Okay. So I think that's it for episode three of Breakout. We've got a competition running. Chrissy, do you want to explain a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, we have. We're um, we're getting ourselves printed up some very exciting breakout T-shirts so that uh, when we're out and about on the 
at the on the, the convention scene we can uh, we can tout the podcast and interview people and so on uh, and uh, you can get your hands on your very own um breakout uh, podcast t-shirt and uh, by uh, simply by sharing and liking and subscribing to our um our podcast so uh, do have a look at the links below or on our twitter page or anywhere else on social media you will find details of how you can enter Mm-hmm. And whilst you're there, please make sure to rate us. Also, if you want to find out more about us and what we do, please check out our website, which is thegreatesc.com. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you're listening in soon. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Bye.